Welcome to the Business Addicts Podcast, where the stakes are high, talk is cheap, and results are on the other side of commitment. Hosted by a former addict, myself. And I'm his wife, Jamie. We uncover addicts' mindsets, showing that the talents you've created in your struggle will be the superpowers you leverage to heal your deepest wounds. Listen to former addicts share stories of how they've flipped the switch, including insights into how much we can believe in ourselves. For those of you affected by addiction, we support your desire to help the addict in your life by raising the stakes and creating emotional barriers. Hello and welcome back to the Business Addicts Podcast. Today we are talking with Joanna Lynn, who is a founder of an institute that she'll tell you more about. We're going to dive into a little bit of background and then get into some energy and epigenetics things that she can help us with. So with that, Joanna, why don't you tell us about yourself and, and the Institute? Yeah, thanks for having me, Kevin. Great to be here with you. I opened my Institute with the name the Family Imprint Institute because we are very much imprinted by our family of origin. And I know you mentioned epigenetics. It's really a arm of science that showcases we are literally imprinted at the level of the DNA from our parents' unresolved emotions, traumas, experiences, things that they have maybe not been able to fully process. That is then passed on to our children and even our grandchildren. So we are in a way born prepared to deal with experiences that our grandparents and parents lived through. Where this might get in the way for us today is we might, I don't know, be at a, a fireworks experience or um, somewhere that brings about a little bit of intensity or excitement, and we might respond to it the way our grandfather would have responded in our war-torn experience. So we're born with an imprint that sometimes supports us in our resilience and sometimes pulls us back in things like anxiety or depressive states. Yeah, definitely. Definitely have lived this. And probably, hope, hopefully it resonates with those those of you listening as well, mm -hmm. because it, it's, it's for, for sure true. <laughs> but <laughs> let's go back and just introduce yourself as well. Um, going back, sure. helping us connect to you as, as a, a little Joanna. And then like, why are you, how'd you get here? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I can't even remember back. It feels like it's always been a part of me that I've been so curious about people, about why they do the things they do, or, you know, as we grow up, why we choose the partners we choose. I remember looking at aunts and uncles, those that were harmonious and connected, and those that weren't so much. And just wondering from that kid perspective, you know, what's the difference here? How come some people are tight and even critical and other people are really warm, open and loving? And so I think it was sort of naturally led me into studying psychology and sociology in my early days in college. Um, certainly influences the way I show up as a mom, really leaning more towards attachment-based parenting and that connectivity that I've been really bringing into my therapeutic work. So it's kind of been a common thread all the way since the beginning. Very cool. Yeah, I love it when young people like feel that tug to what their destiny is, and it seems like you you paid attention. So good <laughs> on you. Thanks. How, how did this 
did this play out in any way for you personally where like you saw some of this programming yourself along the way or or did you just find this all out in school no i think it was naturally an educational interest and then it all sort of landed on my lap and really hit home when i found myself in a marriage that was pretty troubled um we certainly tried traditional marriage counseling and it was a little bit more like sitting and having a referee overhear our arguments. It didn't really get us anywhere. And the relationship ended a little bit like hitting a brick wall, uh, the discovery of an affair, and a lot of broken pieces kind of everywhere. And so that had me kind of broken heart in hand, seeking solutions that were beyond my psychology studies. Um, and wouldn't you know it, as, as timing is kind of ideal and perfect, I came across this work just when I really needed it most. It was a time that I could start to make sense of my own background, my own family history, and really also match it to his as well. What I know now, after 15 years of working with other couples that I didn't know then, was that systems marry systems. There is mm. a familiarity. Yeah. You know, we fall in love with the familiar, not necessarily what's healthy or what we tell a dear friend that we're looking for. And then that tends to play out in intimate relationship for better and worse. And Mm -hmm. so I would say that was a catalyst to, gosh, the most growth I'd ever had in my whole life, that recovery of that heartbreak. And it was really the, I guess, encouragement or that momentum to want to share what I'd learned. And I find... Although I work with such a wide variety of clients and issues, I would say the majority, the bulk of what I'm working with are relationship challenges. So whether Mm -hmm. that's not wanting to divorce and the repair and the recovery required, or you know what? No, we're there. We're doing it. How do we safeguard the kids? How do I not repeat this in my next partnership? And so it's been really beautiful to have that life experience and to bring that empathy and understanding of really having been there and to be able to meet my clients at that, at that kind of place. Yeah. Hmm. So many questions are coming to mind. Let's, uh, (laughs) so let me back up a little bit. So how are you, are you saying that the epigenetics is, it's like that programming and those systems that we receive? Um, What, what do you offer to the the people when they see what the system is because Mm -hmm. it seems like there's a temptation or there might be a temptation to be like oh you're right that's that's me um and i can't do anything about it so Mm -hmm. after they get the information what do you do yeah so a big part as you say is that awareness is that recognition where did the pattern come from how are we building understanding and compassion with ourselves and it can be really unfortunate if we receive that information and then just say, well, my dad was like that. So I guess I'm like that. And we sort of shrug and walk off. We really ultimately want that to be a place of empowerment, clarity, and choice. So there's a recognition of, oh gosh, I've been carrying this as if it's me. And let me understand how You know, what's behind my mom's criticism? What's behind my dad needing to numb with with prescription drugs or alcohol? What wasn't he able to face? What wasn't mom able to come to vulnerability with? Mm 
so that we're not holding it as personal. We're not holding it as something that was done to us and therefore by default, we do to our children or we do to our partner. So a lot of this is clarity in order to clear it, in order to stop the pattern. You know, kind of a lot of my clients will say, oof, I want this to end with me. I don't want this to be something that carries on with my kids and my grandkids and who knows how far it will go. And so it can be a real place of ownership and understanding towards freedom. All right. Yeah. Makes sense. And you, I think I heard you say earlier that we do have, like it's, we're receiving also the conditions whereby we can overcome those things. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah. There's been some super cool studies about intergenerational trauma. Of course, even the name sort of turns us towards the trauma, the what has been inherited down that line. Well, we can also inherit resilience. We can also really come prepared to deal with the things our grandparents and parents overcame. And so all of that is a part of what is in that imprint, a part of those resources within the family system. And so the real gift of this work is to look at ourselves beyond the individual. So I'll, I'll often use the metaphor with my clients, imagine you're a quilt. And we all sort of see that image in our mind of the little squares that make up a quilt. And we are just one square. And so this work gets really curious about the whole family quilt. I want to see you in the context of your whole family system so that the patterns, the harmful relationships, the estrangement with a sibling or a child, how that actually fits into the larger family story. And then most importantly, what can we do to resolve it? How do we really face it and, and deal with it from here? Hmm. Very interesting. So, so mm -hmm. how do you get, this sounds like a massive amount of information. How do you, mm -hmm. how do you get it and what in the world do you do with it? <laughs> So that's the big part of the training that I offer. I, the biggest, I guess, joy of my work is training other clinicians. I sort of got to a place, Kevin, where I was like, oh, I can really only see like, I don't know, 10 people a week because, you know, that's kind of my energetic capacity. More people need to have access to this work. So it feels like a, a pay it forward kind of energy to train other coaches and therapists how to bring this work into how they serve their clients. And so the starting place is a two-hour session, a two-hour first session to get into that deep dive. And I'd like to split that up as best I can into three parts. And so the first is really getting the lay of the client's inner landscape. And I do that by building a three-generation geneogram. We're trying to understand where did love stop flowing? Where did frustrations kind of be like a stopgap that maybe even broke off a part of the family tree? What is some of the patterns that the client is up against in their own life? And where do they sit and live in the family tree? The second part of that three-part first session is the education. Because to so many people, this is actually a brand new consideration. You mean my anxiety has its roots in my mom being super anxious? Or my fear of, I don't know, airports or being in busy city settings is because my father or my grandfather had a experience where he was overwhelmed and inundated with too many people. So what am I carrying that actually isn't my own? 
So I find it's really important to have this almost like a bridge before we do the third part, which is the resolution, as to the why. What are you carrying and why? And then the third part of our very first session is really diving into that place to resolve what, what you've been carrying. And I will say not to, um, I guess I will say that many of my clients give me the feedback that we've been able to accomplish more in a single session than all the years they've done in therapy. And so there's something about getting to that root cause, you know, touching what that pain or that pressure point in their life is really about that provides a lot of relief. Yeah. All the truth sets you free, right? Yeah. Isn't that well said? Yeah. So, well, yeah, I'm quoting. Um, All right. I'm definitely captivated. Yeah, I still have some pieces to this puzzle. I gotta, I've got to personally understand. So, yeah. what? How does this happen? Do, is it like getting a DNA test where you would? No, you would it's all done through language. So I teach my clinicians uh, something called the core language approach: how to follow and track the words our clients use to express where they're stuck, what's painful, what's going on in their relationship, to really mm-hmm. decode what they're carrying from the family system. And so this is all through really flushing out that three-generation geneogram. So again, by tracking, where did love stop flowing? Was dad estranged? How old was the client when their parents divorced? How many siblings do you have? Because what your birth order is determines what you carry in the family system. Those who are firstborn and sometimes secondborn usually carry the greatest weight of what's unresolved in the system, where fourth and fifth children seem to have a little bit of a lighter carrying of that. And so it really just helps to understand some of that background and to be able to have that training to hear what your clients are saying that will guide you to that root cause. Okay. So it's kind of a little bit of a coaching modality, although... I understand. Yeah, interesting. I'm, I'm grateful that you live did. in the coaching side. Does it live yeah, in therapy? Yeah, I joke yeah. I'm more of a detective, actually. You know, so it's it's yeah, it's hard to find a category where it fits perfectly. Okay, so you you do a interview with the person, mm-hmm. and you're questioning them about what's going wrong in like details, and and you're just asking whatever comes to you, and following up with each question, going deeper, trying to find the information then that information leads you to, um, well, the knowledge that you have and the information together leads you to an understanding of the epigenetics of that person. Yeah, what gets revealed is what I talk about um, in my training, which is the four ways our life force gets diminished. I'm really Mm -hmm. looking for which of those four themes are up in what the client is explaining is going on in their life. And so if you'd like, I could talk about those four themes if it doesn't take us too off track. Yeah. No, I'm, 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 wow. I'm just consuming this information. You got me at this point. Oh, well, that's great. So keep, keep giving me the four things. Yeah. So the four ways that our life force gets diminished are pretty invisible. And a lot of people don't see them for, it's almost like they're driving the car of their life, but they're, they're just along for the ride. And so the first is called a break in the bond. And it's probably one of the most overlooked 
understandings in all of the psychological ways we try to get some help and try to understand ourselves. I think it's because it happens before language comes online. So the break in the bond can happen in utero, in our birth experience, and the first five years of our life. And so really, it's about mom's attunement with us. We've got that symbiotic relationship with mom when we are in utero. And so things like being an unexpected pregnancy or gosh, dad loses his job at you know month five of the pregnancy or the sibling before passed away or there was a miscarriage or a lost child. The, there's a scary diagnosis for one of the grandparents. There's something that happens that pulls mom's attunement away from you, that, that growing baby that that feeling sense of, are they ready for me? You know, will will I be able to get enough of what I need? And so all of this, again, is not a thought. It's more of a feeling that's held in the body. We know through attachment sciences that how mom is able to greet us in those first few hours, first few days and weeks sets up our attachment patterns, things like secure attachment, ambivalent attachment, anxious attachment. And there could be all sorts of things outside of mom's control, um, complicated birth, uh, something that happens from a medical emergency that pulls mom away. And in our generation, Kevin, it was pretty much hospital policy that there, you know, mom, that was a difficult labor, will take baby down to the nursery. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll yeah. see the baby for feeding a couple times a day, but really the baby stays across the hospital from you. And this changes the way our brain maps. This changes our capacity to really trust in that sense of mom's got me and I'm okay. Because now mm-hmm. we're suddenly in this unfamiliar environment of bright lights and nurses and other crying babies in the nursery. Not to say any of these experiences can't be undone. It just helps us to understand why we might have distance and difficulty in our primary relationship with our mom and what's unresolved with the first love of our life. Our mom finds its way to live itself out in intimate relationships. On this one, which is near and dear to some of the trauma that I experienced or I found out in hypnotherapy, I didn't consciously know any of that information that I, yeah. I received in hypo, hypnotherapy. So how are you, is the language of the interview indicating to you that that's present? And then- Sometimes, a lot of the times I like to go by the facts of the family. So things like, oh, my mom told me the cord was wrapped around my neck and I was born blue. Okay, there's gonna be some medical interventions involved. They might not necessarily know, oh yeah, I spent five days in the nursery away from mom, but we know that there would be a complication that didn't allow for mom and baby to immediately bond. Um, And there are certainly circumstances, Kevin, where the client will say, I have no idea, like I was never told, my mom has since passed away, or I'm adopted. Mm -hmm. So adoption is one of the most severe break in the bonds Mm. because everything I've known in those nine months is just simply not available to me. And I'm starting fresh with my bonding attachment figure. And so a lot of the times I need to then kind of reverse engineer where all I have to go on are the language patterns of today. What happens in your love relationships? Do you trust love? Do you feel safe in love? What goes on if you uh, leave a relationship? How do you feel in your body? And that will fill in the blanks of what they might not know about their history. 
Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. What about prior trauma um, that the that the mother would have? How would that impact the, the, the fetus? It, it impacts it quite a bit. You know, if her ability to openly love and really stay attuned to you as her child, be it the first or, or fifth baby, that will impact that the, the growing development of you, you know, the client that now sits in front of you in their 40s or 50s or whatever. Uh, so what mom went through is shared with us because mm -hmm. chromosomally, yep. biologically, we are half our mom and half our dad. Yep. Someone else told me on the birth order stuff that like a lot of the um, challenges that we have are related to like if it's the first firstborn dad related is that true not in my experience okay nothing means everything always that's why it's so interesting this work to me <laughs> i could have i don't know 20 alcoholic cases and they're all going to go in different directions depending on why the numbing why the avoidance why the why that expression and so that's okay, why yeah. following so be, to follow language yeah. patterns is the key. Yep. So, all right. So you're really focused on the, the, the environmental side of the epigenetics. Mm -hmm. I, I think the last time we had an epigenetics person on, not that she wasn't not, not taking anything away from Lane, who mm -hmm. was a couple episodes ago, but I think she did. I'm going to go back and listen now because mm -hmm. maybe I misunderstood, but, um, I thought she also did a test as well. So this Some is interesting. Do. Yeah, I'm more of a relational. I'm really on the relational side yeah. of how we are imprinted by our family experiences. Uh, my background before really focusing on this was a clinical hypnotherapist. And I think that's where my mm. love of language and understanding yeah. our lives really run on our inner image. You know, so if we hold the inner image that the dad was cruel or mom wasn't available to me. That inner image is now running your life and how it unfolds from here. And so the same themes show up in our marriage and our parenting at work. You know, what happened in our family is who we bring to work. And that dynamic tends to play itself out with our colleagues. And it's, it's just fascinating how it's almost like the repeat button is stuck. And we've got to kind of get yep. that unstuck to be able to live with a little more freedom. Yeah. Well, I just got distracted by something too in what you're saying. So my experience so far with hypnotherapists is, is you guys having like that spiritual gift of languages. And I'm hearing that in what you're saying. Um, we haven't talked much on the podcast about spiritual gifts, but um, just celebrating that, like, there is something so incredibly valuable about that gift of languages, languages beyond the English, Spanish, whatever, like the language of the trees, the language of the universe, the, I don't know, there's, it's beyond me, but um, I've experienced that and am kind of re-experiencing it with you here today. There's a, there's a deeper understanding behind the words than just the fact there's a word and um the power of speaking um i've definitely i i have experienced this myself with hypnotherapy my my hypnotherapist has been on this podcast in the past uh, 
but I can see what you, where you're taking this from that standpoint and then adding on um, really like speaking that truth to the people. And there's something, yes, the truth is powerful, but I'm acknowledging as I'm, as I'm hearing you that it's also the gift that you're bringing to it or the people you're training that um, there's something about you saying it, um, you bringing it to light. Uh, you know, it, it is the truth and <laughs> there's, mm -hmm. there's a specialness, a special sauce to the fact that people with gifts giving us help makes for magic or I shouldn't say magic, but you get what I'm saying. Like good things. <laughs> yeah. Well said. Yeah. Any other stories? I, you've, you've just embedded several different offerings into what you've talked about, but anything around addiction or anything else that you wanted to say to the addict community? Hmm. Broad question. Let me give that some thought. Yeah. Yeah. It is a broad question. Uh, yeah. I could probably narrow it if you needed to. Well, that's okay. I can, I can share something from that. Um, I think whenever we are needing something outside of ourselves to cope, and that can be anything from chocolate cake to cocaine to heroin to gambling, whenever we're going outside of ourselves, that deeper question is what is so difficult to feel? Mm. So... Mm. A lot of the times, oh, hold we, on. If we, go ahead. Hold on. I'm sorry. This is a big thing for me right now. Um, mm -hmm. This last few months, I realized for me, knowledge is one of those things, right? Knowledge. It's, yes. Um, I'm not saying that some people, like seeking after knowledge for everyone, I'm not saying that's a coping thing, but for me, it's very much been a coping thing. Um, so it's like this whole summer, just just letting go of everything except for the very simple things that I need right now. You know, like mm -hmm. I don't need a bunch of new fantastic knowledge. Anyway, it, you just what you said was, was hitting me very strongly. Very true. Beautiful. Yeah. Sorry and to interrupt again. Get, oh, go back to all. what you're saying. Not at all. It's interesting the the example you've given because I think a lot of us can think, oh, isn't that a good thing? But we could also borrow from work and workaholism. It's kind of our most celebrated ism in our culture, and yet it's still one of the ways we avoid feeling. It's one of the ways we might avoid, you know, gosh, I don't know what to do with this mess of a marriage, but I know what to do at work. And so we kind of go all in on the path that feels, okay, that gives me positive reinforcement. I'm, I'm earning, I'm producing, I'm stepping forward. And yet we continue to maybe not have that difficult conversation, not face our feelings, not know how to grow in that balanced way so that we're not just doing well in one aspect of our lives. You know, I've even worked with clients that are addicted to exercise that can't sort of feel okay if they're not a marathon runner or they're not hours and hours. And I would think to myself, geez, that's got to be a kind of a good one, you know, not to make light of where they're struggling because they're not okay without that crutch. So anything that we lean into, 
um, to avoid really being with ourselves, that can be that slippery slope. And so as all thing in balance, can we, can we do well at work while also building that new cultivation, that new capacity for how do I sort out this complicated relationship I find myself in? What does it remind yeah. me of? Yeah. There's something that I was researching today for myself around the gut. Um, and it, I was looking at the emotional, I was looking at the possible reasons why I had a gut ache over the weekend and was working through that. And what I, they noted in this particular condition was, so it was about candida. And they said that um, candida is a parasite. It's a yeast mm -hmm. parasite, which is present because of our lack of processing emotions. One, they gave several reasons, but one of them was the lack of processing emotions or, or listening to our emotion. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that that aligns with what you're saying. And I well, feel that, you know, um, yeah. I would just agree that if we look at that, so candida is often from too many sweets. And when we chase the sweets, we're looking for, actually we're chasing a dopamine hit. We are trying to replace the missing dopamine from that love, affection, attunement from mom that we felt for whatever reason we didn't get enough of. And now we're trying to replace that with the sweet foods and then it can come in to have a imbalance in our in our microbial gut health and we know now so many of our mood receptors come from sort of like gut first beyond even how yeah. we're feeling and so i think mm -hmm. a lot of the times we would think it's feeling first but it really comes from deeper inside and so it's so wise of you to connect the how am i feeling to what emotions might I not be processing? And this work always wants to go down to the very root, root cause. Yeah. Yeah, one of the other reasons was that core wound, like whatever our core, you know, thinking, I, I think about it with the Enneagram because that's more where I think about core wound. I'm sure there's all kinds of other mm -hmm. ways you could look at it. But um, so, yeah, that was that was the work. There was, um, mm -hmm. of what you just said. So what, what do you think about new research that talks about our, our mind not being just in our brain? Oh, I think it's brilliant and it's absolutely true. So I'm a huge fan of Candace Pert. Dr. Candace Pert was one of the early researchers on neuropeptides. And if any of okay. your listeners are familiar, gosh, was it? 15 years old, maybe this documentary called What the Bleep Do We Know? And so she mm. was featured on that documentary and it's wonderful. They put her work within a story that was so easy to understand. Um, and so really we've got certain receptors for certain states of being. And in a way we get that reward or that dopamine hit, even if that familiar state is kind of like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Here I am, depressed <laughs> yeah, again. I Here I am, looking at everything that's yeah. wrong. But our neurotransmitters go, yes, that's how you felt yesterday, reward. And so unless we can get out of that circuitry, it becomes almost like a closed loop. And we just feel the same way we felt before. 
And so a lot of the time she talked about our subconscious mind being in the body, being in every cell of the body. And so much about the body memory, the language that I use is the reference point. So the reference point of where I've been hurt before, where I've been disappointed and let down again by my family of origin is what I might live out in my marriage and the reference point of how I might parent of how I feel in the, the conference room with my colleagues if I make a joke that didn't land well or I say something mm -hmm. that they then argue with and I feel about this big, the way I did mm -hmm. around my family table. And so this yeah. work gets very curious about what's replicating and then where what can we do about that? Would you have anything that you would like to say about trauma? I mean, this season is very focused on that. Mm -hmm. And in your work, um, like how do you even define trauma? Mm, good question. I think so much of the articles and even some of the great documentaries that are coming out about this topic, I think many people can think, well, I didn't have that big of a trauma. You know what my client or colleagues and I might call the capital T trauma and the importance of looking at the little T traumas. The traumas around, gosh, I was in daycare when I was a month old and what that does to the separation between mom and baby. What um, feeling my voice doesn't matter, maybe in the classroom or growing up. The sense of I don't know how to really express what's important to me or hold that boundary because as kids, we don't really know about boundaries. And then we grew up to be a people pleaser. And we kind of give ourselves away for connection because that's the environment that we grew up in. And so I kind of like to shine light on the little T traumas as ways that have shaped our personality, ways that have shaped how we show up in relationship, ways we kind of hive off parts of ourselves to just make the relationship work. And that always comes to kind of bite us in the end. And so while there are beautiful trauma um, methodologies or techniques that really unravel the way trauma sits in the body, which is so very important because that's just another reference point. I was just talking with a client yesterday about safety really being an inside job. That if I can't feel safe in my body, it doesn't matter how many locks I have on the door. I might still be trembling in bed thinking the worst. And so how do we really work with that inner circuitry that really shapes how we show up in the outer world. Yeah. Hmm. I can just sit here and think about everything you're saying. Um, <laughs> all right. So let's see. There's one other question that was coming to mind around. Um, well, I just think one of just general interests, not trauma related, not even related to what we're talking about. If you don't mind me bringing up about you living in a different country mm -hmm. and like, I, I don't think it's the country that you were native to. Am I wrong? Yeah, I was born in Canada and we moved to Mexico about a year and a half ago now. Okay. So anything you want to give us traditional, um, sort of, um, where we were born, we still live type people. You're the second one of, on this season that's in a different country. Mm -hmm. Um, the first one was a native of Italy and now lives in Spain. So that's not quite as drastic difference, maybe. <laughs> True. Or maybe it is. Uh, but anyway, anything you want to offer 
to us from from that experience that you've gone through and what it's taught you? Yeah, of course. I've given that a lot of thought. And so the starting place I'll share from a systemic perspective. And so from a systems perspective, yes, I'm a Canadian. So that's sort of my larger system. And then born in my family would be my kind of micro system. And this all shapes how we see the world, how we Mm -hmm. feel we're supposed to act, you know, how we're supposed to be. And coming into Mexico, where there is such warmth, there is such a different Mm -hmm. receptivity. And, you know, I'm just thinking when we first arrived, our car battery just just stopped sort of on this busy intersection. And I didn't even have the chance to find my phone and pull it out to call for help. When a local gentleman on a motorcycle just saw we were in trouble, got off and sort of, how can I help you? And through broken Spanish and broken English, we, we figured it out. But the feeling of, wow, here we are, we, we needed assistance. And I you know, didn't even have the chance to reach for it. And it comes right along. So there's so much of a a welcoming warmth that is very different from living in the the capital of Canada of Ottawa. Not to say that Canadians aren't warm and lovely people, but perhaps we would have been waiting there a little longer. You know, there's just a a willingness to help. That's just right there. Sounds Um, like a community. Very much. Community has been so quick to develop here. And My work with Family Constellations is well known here, where in Canada or the U.S., people would say, like, what is that? You know, unless they're in healing circles, they wouldn't have heard about it. I mean, the work's been around over 50 years and people in Mexico here know it, revere it, are curious about it. And so there's and I think it's because Latin America, there is much more reverence for the family of origin. Mm -hmm. There's a much more closeness and um, I think in Canada and the U.S., we're much more individuated. We're much more independent. And so it's been a beautiful learning about when you step out of the norm, you know, who are you? Who are you when you don't have the things of comfort and, and, and what you know? And so it's been a wonderful growth in our marriage, in our teenage son, um, in who we all are as individuals and who we are together as a family. So it hasn't all been uh, unicorns and and butterflies, but there's been a lot of really profound and meaningful conversations that maybe we wouldn't have had if we were just in the typical trajectory of how life goes. Hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. I I feel somewhat close to my neighbors, but there's so many I'm not. Mm. And I don't really actually feel like I'm really close, you know, Mm. like you know each other. And you know each other on Facebook and whatever. Right. But I feel like our cultures have, here in Northern America at least, have been, um, well, we're going to limit for safety reasons, whatever systematics things are in our head maybe, uh, our relationships in all these ways, and then we're going to make up for that in all these other ways, you know, mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm not going to have close relationships next door, but I'm going to have close relationships online. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. So what you're, t- what you're talking about resonates and I find it interesting. And we have, there's part of the whole Coco movie thing that I, yes. I don't know if you've seen that, but oh yes, um, that 
makes it's, it's just uncomfortable to me as a with my systems but um there's another part of it that's like wow that's impressive mm-hmm. yeah so yeah could it really be that way you know is the feeling that i had after watching that movie and so much of it i learned was inspired by oaxaca so that is uh, a town we spent a couple months in in the mountains of mexico it's so rich in art and culture and being here coming up of course at the day of the dead and how there is such a reverence for those who came before and it really mm-hmm. is a celebration and it lasts for days and this um, beautiful altar of all of our ancestors and you know any any of our family member who have passed and really being in relationship with those who are no longer physically here and so that was just such a beautiful thing to be a part of and to witness and to certainly participate in um, in ways that I just didn't do at home because it wasn't a part of the tradition. Um, mm-hmm. So it's been really neat to see how celebratory this culture is and maybe how much we miss in Northern Northern America, Canada and the States with being so wrapped up in the next task instead of enjoying the present moment of what's right here. Hmm. All right. Very beautiful. I've had to learn well, to slow down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think we have slowed down here at the end of this this episode because I'm I'm just listening and thinking, but it's going to be hard to end this conversation. It's been so good. There's been so much that you've shared with us. I appreciate that. Thank oh, you for thanks, joining Kevin. us. And uh, we we hope that uh, there's people that reach out to you. I think there's there's a lot of what you're offering that is unique, um, mm. you know, and you're coming and you're doing it in a culture that's supportive of what you're doing. That's that's a new one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't had that recently. <laughs> so <laughs> congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. And to stay in touch, email us at info at businessaddictspodcast.com.